Greetings and salutations, creature lovers. This is Mr. Venom, welcoming you to episode 19 of No More Room in Hell Presents Creature Comforts. Uh, before we talk about the movie that we're going to discuss this week, let's go ahead and introduce my cohorts. First off, from the Horror Countdown podcast, this is Mr. Don and Nelly. How you doing, Don? Yeah, what's going on? Always happy to be here. And coming to us from the main show, No More Room in Hell, and the former cinema attack, it is Mr. Derek B. How the hell you doing, Derek? Hey, yo. Scott Hall And Razor Ramon is back. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, that was cosmic. Yo, yeah, when Ymir <laughs> yeah, fights the elephant, I'm like, yo, this is a Razor Ramon fight. <laughs> Oh, man. And if you don't know what he's talking about, folks, we'll get into it here in a few minutes. But uh, before we uh, jump into our feature review this episode, um, there was a little bit of uh, creature feature news since the last time that we recorded. Obviously, something that all three of us are very excited for, and that is, of course, the release of the teaser trailer for the new Godzilla movie. Yes, the new Toho Godzilla movie from Japan. It will be dropping in Japan on November 2nd. It will be dropping in America on December 1st. And, of course, that is called Godzilla Minus One. Obviously, it's only a 30-second trailer, uh, a teaser. It's not even a true trailer, but it's a 30-second teaser. I guess I'll just start up with uh, Derek. I mean, did you see the trailer? And if so, what did you think? Oh, yeah. You know, it, you know, it didn't really give much away. You know, right. it gave, like, the aspect of, like, it's post-war Japan, you know, a quick shot of fucking Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see how this goes, you know. <laughs> uh, Don, in the in the little bit of Godzilla that we saw in that trailer, uh, do you have any any opinions on the new design? Uh, I love it more than Shin. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Shin overall, so going back to the more traditional look, oh, I'm, I'm ecstatic. <laughs> if it was... If it was a Sumation version, I would be uh, Brock Hard right now, but um, I'll take what I can get at this point because I know that that's not going to be the case anymore. And uh, this is—I've uh, fully resigned myself to going with uh, the the format that they're going with uh, going going with here. Um, I mean, he looks great. It's you know a very '60s look with a little bit of uh, Hayside body planning, so uh, I'm definitely on board with him. Yeah, I absolutely love that, that design. They even they even gave us um they dropped some pictures of some of the new action figures too that are begin, that are going to be coming out. I forget the name of the company. It wasn't Bandai. It was a slightly Play. higher end. What was it? No, I'm trying to H N S or something. That's it. Yeah, it was yeah. like initials starting with H. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So definitely more collectibles than action figures, but I mean just to be able to see Big G in all his glory, uh, you know, on various angles. Uh, there's probably like what, like eight shots available right now of the new figure. So, yeah, yeah very excited. Yeah, those figures are fucking expensive. Like, like and they come in like oh, multiple, yeah. multiple. Like the Shin Godzilla. I saw the unboxing of the Shin Godzilla box one that they did, and it came in because the tail's so fucking huge that they come <laughs> ship it in three different boxes. I've seen, yeah, I've seen some of HSN's, like, their Batman stuff, and it's the exact same thing. It'll come in, like, two or three separate boxes, and you got to put it together. But, man, the stuff that they do is amazing. I personally don't have any. I 
I'm a Funko Pop collector for those who don't know, but as far as like high end toys, it's just a little beyond my means. But uh, yeah, I can definitely appreciate the artwork there. And speaking of Godzilla, I actually got to meet a Godzilla this past weekend. Uh, this weekend was Days of the Dead out here in Los Angeles. Not a very large convention for anybody who's ever been to it. It's a little bit smaller, like Monster Palooza and and uh, L.A. Comic Con are much larger than this uh, than Days of the Dead. But it was still really fun, and I got to speak to Hurricane Ryu, uh, who of course played Godzilla Junior in um, uh, Godzilla vs. Uh, Destroya. And I know he played Godzilla in a couple other films as well. But, uh, yeah, just a really cool guy. Got to talk to him for a few minutes. As always, I got to speak to Ben Faruya, uh, I believe is the name. Uh, and, of course, Ultraman. Uh, yeah, Ben Ben is at a lot of these shows. I, I don't know if he's local to Los Angeles, but I see him, like, twice a year. So I'm starting to think maybe he is local. But, yeah, he was there signing all the Ultra, Ultraman stuff. Um, some of the lines were a little long, but I did get to get a couple of items signed from some more horror icons, Warrington Gillette, uh, who played Jason in Friday the 13th Part 2, Bill Johnson, who played Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, um, the entire cast of Aliens, minus Lance Hendrickson and Sigourney Weaver were all there, Michael Bean, everybody else was Vasquez there. Vasquez was there? Vasky was there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and literally everyone except, like I said, and Lance and Sigourney I've met previously, so I can I can say now that I've officially met everyone from Aliens, and yes, Newt was there too. Yeah. Obviously not the little girl that she was back in the 80s, but, uh, so yeah, that was a good time had by all, and, you know, the Godzilla connection. There were other guys there who played Godzilla, but the lines were really, really long. Like I think there was a guy uh, named uh, Kawayama or Kawa. I can't remember. Damn it! But he played. I mean, these were all Heisei. Kitayama. Thank you. Kitayama. Yes. Yeah, you are correct. Yes, I mean all all the guys that were there were obviously all Heisei or Millennium uh, Godzilla guys. But yeah, just really cool to see them. Um, so that that's my little Days of the Dead report. So I guess at this point, let's go ahead and get into our main feature. XY-21, which crashed into the Mediterranean Sea on the 11th, was a single-stage, astro-propelled rocket launched 13 months ago from a site within the United States. The rocket, with its complement of 17 men, had landed on the planet Venus. Venus? The planet Venus? 
Some of you may also have heard the story of a monster now confined here in Rome Zoo. That beast is from Venus. This week, we decided to take our second dive into Ray Harryhausen Fair, and with this one, we are looking at 1957's 20 Million Miles to Earth. It is an hour and 22 minutes long, and our synopsis is as follows. The first U.S. spaceship to Venus crash lands off the coast of Sicily on its return trip. A dangerous lizard-like creature comes with it and quickly grows gigantic. This one is directed by Nathan Juran. It is uh, written by Robert Crichton Williams and stars William Hopper, Joan Taylor, and Frank Paglia, I believe. I'll go or with that. as I call them, um, old Robert Loggia's brother. Yes, <laughs> I'll go with that. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and open up with Don, because I know Don mentioned he has a major, major love for this film. So, Don, let's bring you in here first. What's your general thoughts on 20 Million Miles to Earth? Yeah, this is uh, one of the earliest uh, of the Harryhausen ones. I don't remember the exact order beyond the first two. Um, the first ones were Clash of the Titans and then uh, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, but I don't remember the order after that. This is probably right up there, um, I, like as in like the earliest ones that I saw. Um, I believe Jason and the Argonauts is right around this time frame, and uh, I, I want to say Golden Voyage of Sinbad, but uh, again, this is you know going back to you know me being you know ten, eleven years old. So we're we're talking you know around twenty plus years of movie watching. So I, I don't remember that order. Be I, I know the first two, but. After that, like the the rest of the order is pure, um, pretty foggy. But the, mm-hmm. this is probably my favorite of the uh, Harryhausen's fifties work. Um, I I think Beast is probably a better film than this, but I, I think in terms of just pure enjoyment, I think this is probably my favorite of uh, his fifties work. Uh, this is so much fun. Um, you have a great story here. Um, the science is a little sketchy. I, I don't think uh, Venus is <laughs> Venus. Last I checked, is not 20 million miles away from Earth, so I, I, I don't think that the uh, the math checks out. Um, I don't think the uh, science checks out here. Yeah, some of the you know the little eccentricities and the, some of the science is uh, you know a little sketchy, but. Other than that, you know, we have a lot of fun here. Um, you know, it starts, you know, hot with this, you know, spectacular crash, you know, in the middle of the sea. Uh, you know, the, the burgeoning mystery of what this strange little uh, jelly-like substance is and that, you know, how this little figure is able to, you know, rapidly just, you know, grow and get bigger and bigger as uh, longer he stays in Earth's uh, society. But... More than anything else, this is the one that really shows you just what kind of 
personality the creature has and you, you really get to feel for him. You know, he's trying to adapt to a new, you know, he's literally trying to adapt to a new planet. I mean, let's just be honest here because, you know, the things from Venus, but it's a stranger you know, in a strange world. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he literally is the personification of that because he's on a planet that he's never known before. You know, trying to figure out why these, you know, strange pink blobs are trying to, you know, shoot him and stick him with pitchforks. Why is this dog trying to attack me? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't know what Bowser is or Rover or Rex or whatever the guy called him. I'm trying to think back on what he calls his dog because he calls him out a couple times. But I, I mean, yeah, you know, he's trying to figure out why this, you know, furry little yapping thing is trying to bite him. So, and I mean, yeah, he, you know, you, you really get to feel for it and, you know, he does have, you know, his vicious moments, but I mean, he he does have that kaiju sensibility where, you know, he's trying to figure out what's going on and all of these things keep attacking him. Like everything is always, they attack him first. And it, it, it's, it adds kind of a, you know, motorcycle zooming by kind of a mentality, but <laughs> yeah, you know, you, there's a real sense of, of uh, sympathy here for the creature, and uh, I, I really enjoy that. You know, you still get some city destruction here and there with a, you know, brief but fun little rampage. But, yeah, I, I, I think this is probably, like, my favorite of the Harryhausen films from the 50s. And uh, it, it's still a fun time. It still holds up well. You know, I, I think this is still before Dynamation, right? Because I think that's I, – I think that's Jason and the Argonauts, right? Or is that Golden Boy? Seven to seven voyage, I think, started the domination. Yeah. Period. Okay. So yeah, this is still before that. So you still have the traditional stop motion stuff where it's not, you know, the glass paintings being integrated into the film. So yeah, all mm-hmm. of the interactions here are still straightforward CG, um, stop motion and it looks really good. Some of the, you know, scenes are, you know, handled pretty well, like the, you know, Coliseum attack where he's standing in the, you know, walls in the background and you have the humans in the foreground. So. I mean, yeah, there, there's still a lot to like here. Um, I mean, like I said, it's got some problems, but uh, I'm able to overlook that and just, you know, yeah, it, it's it's a fun time and definitely one of my favorites. <laughs> Luckily, no one knew the science in 1957, at least for movie viewers, so it was yeah. probably fairly safe. <laughs> uh, Derek, come on in here, brother. What did you think of 20 million miles to Earth? 20 million miles to Earth. Yeah, this is a movie I grew up with for years, you know. Actually, the first time I ever, like, seen any, like, footage of this movie, it's actually, some of the footage was in Joe Dante's movie, The Explorers, which also dealt with, like, alien beings and shit like that. And, you know, there's actually a fun scene in that movie where, you know, the the main alien played by Robert Picardo shows them footage of how Americans are, are Earthlings depict aliens and one of the movies shown was 20 million miles to earth and i thought that was a like oh shit and it's actually the end of the movie where the monster's killed so i was like damn aliens hate us (laughs) but uh yeah and then i got to see this movie a few years later after that and man i love the yammer design actually uh when I was picking up these movies originally, uh, I got, like, the special, like, fucking Ray Harryhausen box set thing that came in, like, this big giant box. Because it comes with an actual figurine of Ymir himself. 
uh, actually made from the actual molds that Ray Harryhausen used. They're even like signed cards signed by Ray Harryhausen that came with them and shit like that. And yeah, it was, it, you know, it's a cool experience. You know, actually, the weird thing is the first time I've seen this movie was in color. Because I actually own the copy that comes with both the black and white version and the color version, which uh, Ray Harry Allen actually sat through and you know like that, that was that guy's wig was that color, <laughs> your mirror was that color, <laughs> but you know I, I still watch the movie in black and white for and you know actually for like a movie like this like you know whatever way you watch it I actually think it. Looks pretty okay, both versions, you know. Like, I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, you, you should watch movies in the color that they were for, you know what I mean? You know, some of those colorized versions are bullshit too, like the old, like, Turner Classic King Kong colorized yeah. version, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at least they had, like, Harry Housen sitting in the, like, yeah, that guy's jacket was blue that day. You know, <laughs> you know, and Nathan Geron is no uh, slouch to the creature features himself. There's a because uh, before this he did like the Daily Mantis, which we'll probably talk about yeah. sometime in the future. Which you know, Mister, which I first saw in Mysterious Theater three thousand, and he did Attack of the Fifty Four Woman, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, did a few more Ray Harryhausen's First Men to the Moon, which I loved. Fucking. He did Jack the Giant Killer or fucking Kermit Matthews. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Harry Rosen didn't do the effects of that movie, but I, I actually do love the effects of that one still. The movie itself, you know, it does suffer from a few, like, age things. But overall, it's it's a fast-paced movie. But So none of that shit kind of really bothers me when I'm always watching this one. Yeah, I just love the, the characterization of the Ymir character. I like... Like, I kind of agree with Don where, like, it's an alien that's trying to adapt to this world and its surroundings. And it's just an animal, pretty much. And, you know, it's not trying to go out and fucking kill people. It's just look hungry or something or, like, trying to defend itself, pretty much. And I think that's displayed very well with the effects, too, in this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing that I, I give the big ups for, which, uh, like, a lot of sufferers from, like, uh, the 50s era Ray Harryhausen stuff, like Earth versus the Flying Saucers, and it came from the Beneath the Sea, is those movies were plagued with a lot of fucking narration during them. I'm I'm glad that this <laughs> one kind of cut all that out and just had like some opening narration. That's it. Because all that's I remember, right. yeah, that's right. I I almost forgot about all that. Yeah, that's the thing that yeah you 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 forget about it. Yeah, because because in those movies it's fucking like. And this narration starts fucking happening when people are fucking having a conversation. I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? So, yeah, I kind of agree. It's one of his best of his 50 shit before he started doing, like, the epics. For me, uh, this is probably, what, a second or third time watch. I, I picked this Blu-ray up, I don't know, maybe, like, six, seven years ago. There was a video store out here that was closing, and they were liquidating everything, and I got this on a two-pack with uh, this, and it came from Beneath the Sea, uh, another really good Harryhausen one. So, yeah, this is this is one that I've watched a couple of times, and I'm going to pretty much agree with the, the sentiment in the room. I, I love this fucking movie. I This movie is so much fun. 
despite its shaky science, if you don't think about that too much, you're going to have a good time. Don and Derek have both made some really great points. I, I love Don's point about uh, the sympathetic character, the sympathetic nature of uh, Ymir, and the, the fact that he never attacks anyone first. He is always attacked first. Very similar to, to Troll that we you know watched at the end of last year and reviewed. Again, not attacking people, not you know looking to destroy or kill or murder but as soon as he appears you know the the military and the police and everybody else just start attacking so then he gets confused and angry so of course he's gonna defend himself he's gonna lash out so uh solid argument this score i really really like this score including the opening credits music. The opening credits music is really eerie and kind of somber, but it sets the mood so nicely. The tension is kind of broken by the not-so-great effects of the rocket crash, of the spaceship crash, <laughs> but again, it's 1957, you can get past it. <laughs> I was I was so worried, because once I saw that there was a kid as a main character in this movie, instantly, you guys know, instantly, <laughs> I, I think of Young Gary, and I start thinking, uh, how is this little kid going to fuck up this situation? And despite this kid actually being kind of likable, like I didn't hate him, he does still fuck up the situation. He is. Only one was he got a horse out of it, too. Yeah, well, you got a, uh, yeah, a cowboy hat or something, I think. Oh, man. Oh, by the way, for those who are curious, uh, Venus is 31.3 million miles away from Earth. So they were close. That was, that was the part I was going <laughs> to. Yeah, I, I mean, if they would have called it 30 million, I, I wouldn't have minded that much because people back then wouldn't have known. Exactly. But, yeah. Who's, yeah. Who knows the distance from planets back in 57? You know, there's no Google. Yeah, let's be fair, too, though. They probably didn't even really know back then either. <laughs> exactly. That's what I mean. In 1957, the shaky science isn't really a major deterrent for the movie. You know, obviously, as we watch it in 2023, there's some laughable dialogue, some maybe questionable decisions made, things like that. But, you know, for the most part, this movie is just so much fun. Um, it's only an hour and 22 minutes long. It is a quick watch. You don't have to wait long. Uh, the rocket crash is literally like in the first two minutes of the film. Then, you know, it just kind of goes from there with our fishermen finding the rocket, going into the rocket, finding the one survivor, getting him out of the rocket before it sinks to oblivion. Yeah, there, there's the pacing is great. You're interested the entire time. There's no hateable characters in here. You know, there's no skeptics or just idiotic characters that just want to, you know, nuke the thing from, you know, from orbit or whatever. So, yeah, overall, I really did like that. But like I said, the little kid finding the canister on the beach, as soon as he finds it, it's like, oh, there we go. No no way a little kid's going to be able to fight his curiosity enough. It's Especially a poor kid who, you know, he probably didn't even know what that canister was. He's like, what the hell is this thing? It looks like a little refrigerator. But obviously, you know, through his action and, and ignorance of the situation, he, of course, releases the egg, sells it, uh, sells it to a scientist for 200 lira. Uh, by the way, I looked it up. 200 lira in 1957 is um, 60 cents. So Damn, the kid <laughs> he sold that. He sold an alien egg slash pod, whatever the fuck you want to call it. He sold it for 60 cents so he could buy a cowboy hat. 
<laughs> it's kind of interesting. I wish I could buy a, but, a cowboy half of 60 cents. No shit. Yeah, but, Damn, I would yeah, buy that. But, <laughs> now, so remember, he has to import it because he claimed that they're from Texas. Right, right. <laughs> he wanted yeah, a shit. Real even Texas even like the hat. fucking shipping fees are even more, cheaper back. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe they have an old western shop somewhere in downtown Sicily. I don't know. It does seem weird, but hey, again. Owned by Luigi Cozy. And his name was Peppy, which I kind of like. Let's talk about the main actor's main character's wig. What's that? The main actor's wig that he wore for this whole movie was amazing. Oh. (laughs) Hey, it got him a date. Good for him. It did. What's funny, too, with those two is that literally one minute they're, like, kind of um, antagonistic towards each other because she's trying to dress his wound and he's he's kind of playing Jesse Ventura, you know, I ain't got time to bleed. But in, in the course of, like, a one-minute conversation, they go from animosity to going on a date after the creature is gone. It's like, wow, that that's some fast work right there. So pretty damn impressive. I, I'll give it up to William Hopper or uh, the character's name, Colonel Calder. Yeah, yeah. Ymir, <laughs> though, yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. There's, I mean, there's just multiple amazing set pieces in here. Ymir's escape from his holding container is just brutal. On him, I mean, just the way that he rips through that cage. I thought the dog fight was really well done. Because uh, obviously you've got Ymir, which is a stop-motion creature fighting a dog, which is a real animal, so you can't film them together, obviously. Again, for 1957, you know, Harryhausen is king, so, yeah, uh, it, it's not... And same thing with the final fight of the... Well, maybe not the final fight, but the, the final creature fight of the movie, where oh, that's my uh, favorite, Ymir the is elephant. fighting a... Oh, that fight is spectacular. That, that elephant, elephant went hard. Oh, big time. They both went hard. That was an intense fight. That was one of the more intense kaiju fights or giant monster fights I've seen in a long time. That was pretty damn awesome. It looks great. It's believable. Other than the part where the elephant fell fell on top of those two guys, and when the elephant got up, they weren't pancakes on the on the road, but whatever. Oh, <laughs> that suspension of disbelief again. They were. Yeah. They should have been stains on the concrete. <laughs> like Judge Doom and elephant. Oh, big time. Yeah, Judge Doom. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, the way the way that they did the dog fight with the shadows, I uh, thought it was just really, really well done. I liked his yell. It, it's yeah. one of those things that y- y- you worry that you're going to get sick of a creature's, you know, vocalizations in a movie, especially if it ends up being really stupid, like... Like, say, the giant lobster from Teenagers from Outer Space, where it's basically just yelling. You know, that thing is ridiculous. <laughs> and there's plenty of other examples, too. But here... Titanosaurus. Ymir, yeah, he's, he definitely has, like, a elephant mixed with a pterodactyl mixed with just something else, something... Like, like his, and I also liked how his voice changed as he got bigger, because obviously his vocal cords are getting bigger, so it's going to change the resonation of his vocal cords, and yeah, as he got bigger, by the way, we haven't even really mentioned that yet, that Ymir starts off as a very small creature, like literally the hand size, he could fit in your hand. And basically, he is doubling in size every day. So every 24 hours, he literally doubles in size. He's fucking so the first in couple, when they sleep. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it is interesting to see, like, the first couple of days because, you know, first he's, like, tiny, then he's, like, the size of a dog, then he's, like, the size of a small human, so he's still, like, they can handle him. He's still manageable at that size. But then, of course, eventually he's going to get too big and, you know, they're going to have to try to restrain him. And, of course... As in any good monster movie, no restraints hold permanently. Of course, he's going to get out, and the escape was a spectacular scene. I really, really like that. Oh, and then the the final fight, the finale at the fucking Coliseum. What a setting for a finale. I do wish Mm -hmm. that the the elephant fight was a little bit more of the finale, Uh, because ultimately, you know, once you get to the end of the movie, it's just... It's Ymir versus a 50 caliber cannon. And the 50 caliber cannon wins, unfortunately. So, you know, it, it seems not ultra believable, but again, shaky science. Because early on, when, when Ymir was about the size of a human, they would shoot at him and the bullets had no effect. They, you know, they, they, I don't know if they weren't penetrating, if they were bouncing off, or if maybe they were just terrible shots in general. But it did seem like when they shot Ymir with like a standard handgun, when Ymir was like dog or human size, it didn't have an effect on him. But then somehow, once he's gigantic, a 50 caliber cannon does pierce his flesh fairly easily. I mean, they, they take him down, you know, once he gets to the top of the Coliseum, they take him down fairly easily with the 50 cal. You know, yeah. not the most satisfying finale, but ultimately, because of everything that we got before that, it just makes the movie that much more enjoyable. Both, you know, the dog fight done in shadows, the the elephant fight, you know, coming out of the pod, you know, his little birthing scene, if you will. I mean, there's just so many great set pieces here. There's so much to love. Like I said, the only complaint I would probably have is just I wish the finale was a little bit more, how can I put it, just spectacular. You know what I mean? I mean, you're, you're talking about a gigantic creature that's marauding through Rome and, and you know, parts of Sicily. It's like, well... I, I want to see something, you know, either a, some kind of bomb or their original idea of, like, the electric netting, you know, to kind of charge them. Because at one point in the movie, Colonel Calder basically says that they did experiments on some of the creatures back on Venus and that they are affected by electricity, electrical current. So obviously they try that. It works for a little while. They're able to subdue the creature, but obviously that's not going to last for long. And, and as the creature gets... It's bigger, you have to up the, the voltage, too, so uh, potentially that could become an issue. So, yeah, the, the movie has all the beats that we expect from a creature feature. We find the creature is a larva, it grows up, it marauds through the city, it becomes a bigger problem as it gets bigger, uh, until we have our big finale at the end. So, you know, ultimately the movie isn't, maybe for 1957, it's incredibly innovative, but, you know, at this point, at the, you know, after watching so many creature features, we kind of see the formula for a lot of these movies. And this one follows that. And it's not a knock on the film by any stretch. Because, like I said, 1957. So uh, what else can we talk about? Derek, get in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking uh, the scene that I always fucking go back to is, like, the aspect. No, not just the scene, but, the like, the whole idea why this movie takes place in Rome was this Ray Harryhausen wanted to go to vacation to Italy. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and it, it helps. I love the scenery. It, it stands out with like yeah. other movies from that time period because even like some of like the other ones are just USA, 
So it was kind of cool that this took place in like a strange foreign land too, for stranger in a strange land kind of story in that aspect. Phil Tibbet loves this fucking movie. He actually he's on the commentary on the my DVD copy. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, and Dennis Murin, good shit. Yeah, you know, I, the aspect of Ymir I like, especially looking at, like, my model right now, is he actually has, like, like little indents, like, underneath his hand, where we'd be, like, nails. They're, like, fucking nails on his hand. <laughs> like, kind of cool. You know, I never noticed them until recently. I'm like, what the fuck are these for? Does he do, like, fucking nin- ninja cuts and shit? <laughs> shit like that. But yeah, and, right. you know, you actually you actually pointed something out really cool when I posted like the image of that when you posted the picture of the Kraken from Clash of the Titans. Oh right. <laughs> and you know, oh, man. I never noticed the similarities before. I I noticed it instantly on this watch. I've never noticed it before, but for some reason, as soon as Ymir was like big enough that you could see his full design, I'm like. That's that's the top half of the Kraken, because obviously the Kraken from Clash of the Titans had like a, a you know the, his lower body was like tentacles you know kind of squid like, but the yeah. top half looks almost exactly like Ymir. So obviously Harryhausen really likes that design because he used it again or he borrowed from it I should say. <laughs> yeah, he, he kind of did that with like what's it called the fucking Cyclopses from like the Sinbad movies too, used them in different mm-hmm. characters and those other movies. Yeah, yeah, that's valid. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, man, all the effects in this movie look great, but there was one, and, you know, the the crash, the spaceship crash is, you know, eh, it's all right. It's not, but there it's is not Harry Housen's best spaceship. Because oh, the, not by any stretch, no. Yeah. But but the, the one effect in this movie that really took me out of it, because it flat out looks bad to me, is when they're fighting at the Coliseum and those pillars come down, and the the chunks of the pillar are actually animated. Did you notice that? Yeah, they actually cell like shaded. <laughs> yeah, it, it looks a little weird. I I caught it maybe not on my uh, not on like my first watch, but it, it took me like a couple of watches to figure it out. And yeah, it looks like they're like cell animated or like really, really, really awkwardly superimposed like pieces put onto the. Like matted in, but like maybe not quite done act like done really well, right? Because yeah, they, they they look distinctly off, not like genuine like rubble, but like it, it just looks kind of awkward. Maybe no, I was gonna say it's kind of like the same aspect of like the kind of like the rumble effects in Gorgo too that we reviewed on Underwater Kaiju back in the day, right? Where they kind, kind of had of, the yeah. same type of. Like the rock effects going on to like people like ah and they're fading into them. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. I found it weird that they didn't just use like you know foam rubber or, uh, pillar pieces. You know, kind of like they well, I mean today they would just use CG, but like like in the eighties and nineties, you know, they would have just used like foam rubber pieces of pillar to, and falling on real humans. Imagine Obviously, that's, you, you imagine have to that's the only good part of Young Gary. <laughs> they actually do use the rubble. Exactly. Big time. But ultimately, you know, if that's the only thing that I've got to complain about with this movie, then they did a good job. Because ultimately, there's very little to complain about with this movie. I think we've kind of hit on most of the points 
points on the on the few negative points that the movie has. But yeah, overall, I, I absolutely love this film. This thing is so much fun. It's quick. It's smart. Like it doesn't. No one comes off as idiotic in the movie. You know what I mean? Like. The only one I think that does is I think it's the town mayor or the commissario or whatever the they want to call yeah. it. Yeah, but he's I just doing he his would... job. They're always dumb in those movies. Yeah, but the idea for him to think that he can outwit the U.S. military, I, I think his kind of motivation just really wasn't there. You know who my favorite because... is now? <laughs> is the sheriff from Earth versus the Spider. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, go ahead, Don. Sorry. No, what I'm saying is that for me, I, I think his motivation to try to capture it and kill it, I, I think it, he, he doesn't really have, like, the motivation yet because he only really has the one attack that doesn't really have – there's, like, you know, the only reason that he's going after it is because it attacked the farmer, which, okay, that's fine. You know, you've got, you know, the town to worry about. But it was always – everybody attacked him first. And you've got to let the military try to recapture it because it's still technically on, you know, their grounds are still there for their, for their recapture mission. So the idea for him going rogue and then they kind of just drop the whole thing altogether because the military just captures them anyway, right out from underneath them. Yep. I don't know that, that whole plot of it was kind of just really weird and kind of just shoehorned in there, you know, for going off of nitpicks. I think that, yeah. just really feels like really weird and awkward just for him to come in, try to like sneak the creature up from underneath the military's nose and then have the whole thing dropped. And then, you know, the, the military captures him anyway. So why throw a fit for no reason? Valid. I mean, the only defense I have for that is just maybe he doesn't like Americans that much. And, and because it was an American spaceship that crash landed, and then, uh, off the coast of Sicily, he has no choice but to deal with, um, you know, American military yeah. politicians, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I, I think he just doesn't like it. I'm, I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, Don. You're right. He he is – he comes off kind of cartoony at times, you know, because it's true. I mean, what could he possibly do that the American military couldn't have already done? It's not like Italy has a space program, so <laughs> to my <laughs> knowledge anyway. Yeah. I just I, I just found out India has a space program. That was that was like the surprise of the month. I think we all did. Oh I shit! Bollywood. We all. I can't wait for Bollywood chasing in space. Oh, Bollywood moon landing! God damn it! And they they totally missed an opportunity to dance on the moon. God damn it! That would have been spectacular. Anyway, back to back to <laughs> Ymir. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much all I have. Do you guys have any closing comments before we get out of here? Oh, we've been doing good movies lately, so it's kind of hard to... Yeah. <laughs> we can yeah, pick a real shit you want for the next one. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> just... Yeah, you don't really have much to say. Wow, this movie's a classic. Everybody should go see it. Well, great talk, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> it's kind of like that on Fresh Cuts, too, when we all... All three of us agree on, you know, whether the movie is good or bad. It, it ends up being, like, not the most uh, active conversation. But, yeah. I mean, ultimately, I mean, we're, we're true. they this made a good a movie. Go watch I mean, we're right. Yeah. This is a classic. Go watch it. But, yeah, not exactly the most exactly. thrilling uh, conversation piece. Sadly, yes. But at least now everyone who's listening to us knows we all love this movie. And you should go check it out as well. 
Um, I don't know if it's available on any streaming services Tubi. since I actually Tubi. own Tubi. It's Tubi. on Tubi. Perfect. That's right, so, folks. Tubi, Tubi, Tubi and I think it's free. Tubi and I think the uh, regular Plex, uh, the Freeview thing. Oh, I think oh, okay. Plex. Okay. Yeah, the, the regular free Plex. I think it's there as well. There you go, folks. You got you have a couple of different outlets to watch the movie. If you haven't seen it, by all means, check it out. I think all three of us give a high recommendation for that one. It is a must-watch if you are into creature features, Ray Harryhausen, stop-motion animation, whatever you want to go with. This is definitely a must-watch. So, again, thank you all so much for joining us. On behalf of Don and Derek, I am Mr. Venom. Once again, thanking you so much for joining us for No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comfort, Episode 19. We'll see you next time, folks. Say goodbye to the listeners. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was so angry. <laughs> Dying in my head